It's late at night. You're home alone. In the dark, you see something. It leaps out at you. The dreaded spoiler! Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we talk about the concept of spoilers. Can a game be ruined if you know too much? What counts as a spoiler? And can we talk about spoilers without spoiling anything? We'll try. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Jason Trier. And Kirk, I have a question for you. <laughs> oh boy, you have a question for me. All right, this is exciting. Why do you write like you're running out of time? <laughs> Why? You know, it's because it's because I needed to survive, Jason. Uh-huh. It's because I needed I to survive. It. The man is nonstop. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have. I just have to write. Like tomorrow won't arrive. This is mm. just. It's just something I got to do. I get it. I get mm, it. You are always saying that. It's true. I am time. just saying it all the time as I write on a desk that is being held by um, beautiful dancers, <laughs> a bunch of other people. Yeah, I've set it up yes, for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, That's just kind of how I do it. Hamilton mm-hmm. over here. He's just nonstop. Yeah, just nonstop. <laughs> cool. Um, it is nice to see both of you, and uh, it is nice to not see, but to know that I am being heard by all of you out there. That's, yeah. I guess, the best I could come up with. Thank you, everyone, who's been listening to the show. We see you in our hearts. We right. see you in our hearts, and we appreciate each and every one of you, especially those of you who have become Maximum Fund members, to support us making this show. And um, yeah, we hope you liked that Control spoiler cast, Beans cast, I should say, from a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. And um, we're pretty excited for the Last of Us 2 Beans Cast that we'll be doing, I think, in a week or two. So that'll Something be pretty like cool, that. too. Jason's got to beat the game. So. Sorry, sorry. end true. of July. End of July. <laughs> end of July. Somewhere near the end of this month. So, but speaking of Maximum Fun-related things, there is something exciting happening in Maximum Funland, and I think Maddie is going to tell you all about that. That's right. So next week is going to be Max Fun Drive. And for those of you who haven't been listening to Maximum Fun podcasts for the past 10 years, like I have, you don't know (laughs) what that is, but it probably sounds very exciting to you. We will tell you a lot more information about it next week. And also Jesse Thorne, head of the network, is going to have a message that we'll include later in the show with some more info about it. But just to describe it preliminarily, if you're already somebody who is a member of the Maximum Fun Network, then you're already on board. We don't really need to convince you. But if you're not yet convinced, the Max Fun Drive is maybe the time when we can get get you off the fence and, and get cool you stuff. interested in some yes, cool, possibly. cool, cool stuff. Cool, and we will cool tell stuff. you more about that stuff next week. Yeah. We sure will. Um, one other thing before we get started, last week we had a good conversation about racial allegories in video games, um, but as a couple of listeners have pointed out, when we were talking about the Khajiit in the Elder Scrolls series, we failed to mention that they um, have been criticized and pointed out to be Romani stereotypes, which is something I didn't even know about or realize um, until a few listeners pointed that out. So it's worth mentioning yeah, on top me that, that uh, we apologize for not, for kind of glazing over that, not mentioning that when we were talking about how, oh, they're cat people. Um, I think we kind of trivialized them a little bit. So it's worth bringing that up. Um, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Let's get to it. Maddie, take us away. What are we discussing as this week's hot topic? <laughs> I just thought we would finally, for once and for all, decide whether or not spoilers <laughs> are good or bad. I just thought we would just quickly wrap up that endless debate yeah, on the no internet. Yeah, no problem. Just do it in one, just maybe in a quick 30 minutes, try to figure out if spoiling something is possible, if it ruins a story or not. So I want to hear from the two of you, 
about what you consider to be a spoiler and especially mm. how that may have changed over the course of your life because we all work in media so we all have different experiences with the idea of what plot points can and cannot spoil a story so kirk why don't you go first what do you consider a spoiler if if you even consider that a spoiler can exist at all do you I do, um, and I have obviously very complicated thoughts. Kirk is the most sensitive person when it comes to spoilers. <laughs> I, I try to be careful about them. Um, I have some stories that I can maybe tell in a little bit about just being on the internet and being a person who writes about media on the internet, mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. course you spend a lot of time dealing with spoilers or beans, as we call them here on Triple Click. <laughs> right, mm. right. And um, and you know we've even in the the brief, you know, the ten and now eleven episodes we've made of this show, we've spent so much time talking around spoilers, especially for Final Fantasy VII: The Last of Us Part Two, which mm-hmm. also we will talk about in a minute. But just generally speaking, what do I think is a spoiler I would say um, a spoiler is anything about a story or experience or piece of media that you're going to experience that is enhanced by um, it being something that you come to on your own in the natural course of the story like if it Whatever it is, because there can be mechanical spoilers for a video game. Mm-hmm. It can be a narrative spoiler for a big plot twist. That's the most obvious kind of spoiler. There can be a lot of different kinds of spoilers. It could even almost be... I feel like that could refer to anything, though. Yeah, me too. Well, right. It's a very open definition of what a spoiler could be. No wonder you got mad when I said The Last of Us 2 took place in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get mad. I just said I didn't know that. And, you know, I would have been really, really, really mad. Spoilers. Right. And then I, I blocked you <laughs> on my phone and... <laughs> canceled you on Twitter. No, yeah. um, I so, but I basically think that it can mean anything to anybody, and different people have different sensitivities to spoilers, and that's why I'm going for such a broad definition. Is because right. you kind of have to, if you're going to define it at all, it has to be so broad that it can be whatever it is to a whole lot of different people. Which I think is one of the reasons that it's such an endlessly challenging thing with no yes. clear solution. And I, as much as you joke, we're definitely not going to come up with an actual unfortunately clear solution we at cannot the, at the end of this because it's just impossible. <laughs> so that's my working way of thinking of it as broad. Broadly as possible. What do you think, Jason? Do you agree? So I think, I think, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to try to define a spoiler because it's kind of, it's so ambiguous. It's, it can be anything. No, but, but you're not going to try to define it because my definition was perfect. Right. I think, I think the, the question of whether spoilers ruin a story is really interesting. And I was thinking yes. about um, our former colleague, Heather Alexandra, who's a great critic, and she ha- has a tendency to just read spoilers on the internet. Like, she just loves reading spoilers before she even plays things. And she feels like she like gets, gets more out of those things by reading the spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really interesting way to approach this, because I've always kind of been more of an op- the opposite, and I enjoy being surprised, and like I feel like there's nothing like a good plot twist it's why i was obsessed with 24 for so many years because i love the way that like at the end of an episode (laughs) or at the end of the season it would just like punch you in the face and it would just be like oh my god plot twist like the president is a traitor holy shit like everything's gonna explode it's fairly Um, rude that it would just punch you in the face like is that a spoiler that feels more like assault to me (laughs) surprise assault clearly you've never met jack bauer because (laughs) when it comes to jack bauer he is immune to all assault charges like for him it's not assault 
It's right. just a way of life. It's just day-to-day activities. Jack Bauer's spoilers are all just physical violence, like different exactly. forms of physical exactly. violence that he commits against you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, but there's something to be said. I, I mean, I think being surprised by like a good, um, what's the what's the term? It's like the turn, the prestige from that movie uh, with Christian Bale. The movie, The Prestige. <laughs> yeah. But like that being movie, sur- what is it called? It's, it's got <laughs> the prestige in it. It's a prestige in it. And if you, if you read something online, and this actually makes a good segue to, to topical conversation, because like if you read online that like at the, the beginning of The Last of Us 2, or like if you read online that The Last of Us 2, like this character kills this other character, um, but you don't have any context for it and you don't have any kind of like understanding of why it takes place or what it actually means. And maybe you think it's at the end of the game because that's what the spoilers are saying and it's yeah. actually the beginning of the game and sets you off on the journey. It just kind of, it, it does kind of take away from the experience, I find. Um, and like, if it's a bigger twist, like let's say you're playing a game where, you know, oh, actually I have a good one. So I'm going to spoil the good place season one because it was spoiled for me. So, okay. I think that's fair. That was out. That was skip out ahead a, while a little ago. bit. If you, if you've seen this one, but so that was actually spoiled for me and it kind of sucked because the whole time I was watching, yeah. like knowing this was going to happen, that at the end mm-hmm. it's going to, of the season, it turns out it's not the good place. It's a bad place. They're not in heaven. Yeah, they're in hell. That's and that's bad. the kind of show. Yeah. That's the kind of show that like so masterfully sets that up that like at the end you're suddenly thinking back and it, it just changes the way that you looked at everything but if you go yeah. into it already knowing that your perspective on it should be changed then it really does not it like ruins the way that you experience that media so i do think that spoilers can ruin a story that's my my argument i agree that is closer to what my definition of a spoiler is which i would consider to be much more broad than kirk's to a level that I think has gotten me in trouble in social situations because I, I've had to remind myself that many other people see things as spoilers that I don't consider spoilers and mm, just mm-hmm. try to tamp down that part of myself that gets excited about media and wants to just talk about things. And But to me, Jason, that definition, I do agree a story can be ruined by a spoiler, but to me it's like if it's a twist, if it's a mystery, like who's the killer or some type of reveal along those lines, or even just that there's a mystery that will be solved in some way, anything at the end of a story or the denouement or like anything like that Mm -hmm. to me can ruin a story, especially if it's a story that is building up to that reveal. But anything else besides that, I'm pretty chill about it and I have changed over time. I don't, I, neither of you described this, but like as I've worked in media so long, I have become more immune <laughs> to spoilers or just I've mm. forced myself to care less because I've had to, because especially in editing so many stories. I am reading about the ends of games so often or like reading about fun surprises in games or just talking to writers about things they're playing and trying to help them with their stories. So I'm, I've just had to get over it and and be like, well, I'm going to learn about a whole lot of stuff before I have the chance to experience it myself. And I think that's part of why I might be kind of a dick about spoilers by accident but you two maybe don't have that experience no i kind of do i actually had that because i edited you and rob's conversation about the last of us too and right. while you were very vague because you were still under that bananas embargo <laughs> you still there was enough in there that i was able to deduce major things that happened in that story and it didn't detract from me i actually read ryan gilliam's article on polygon about the last of us too and how he read spoilers yes i was gonna mention this so just to describe this briefly mm-hmm. ryan wrote an article at polygon about how he read through 
and saw all the spoilers for The Last of Us mm-hmm. Part Two on like, purpose. As an experiment, right? As an experiment, yeah. because he was like, I want to know if this is going to change how I feel about the game. And he actually ended up loving the game significantly more than <laughs> I did and significantly more than a lot of our coworkers, perhaps because he knew everything that was going to happen, or at least that was his justification, although there's absolutely no way for us to know whether he would have loved the game if he hadn't known all of those spoilers. But I, I think it's also true that the things that were spoiled in The Last of Us 2, without the context of the rest of the game, those spoilers are kind of meaningless. So that was sort of a strange situation that I guess we can get into in a minute. But I'll, I'll let you finish your thought, Kirk, on yeah, it. Yeah, I think though, I think that the way that we're all describing is actually pretty similar. Like the thing you're describing, Maddie, is similar to how I see it. It's just that whatever the thing that's being revealed is the reveal of that in the context, like in the process of the media, is an important part of the experience of it. So the reason I'm being broad is just because I do see mechanical spoilers, which is something that gamers will talk about. And I've seen people ridicule that but i actually understand that like if i understand um, it too there's like a cool scene in control that we didn't spoil until the beans cast because it's right. a cool mechanical or god of war god of war had that great i was about to say yes. god of war we wrote we did a vg chat about the a weapon that you get in that game that is a significant mechanical shift for the game and also a narrative twist sort of or like a narrative development and it was mm-hmm. a really cool surprise when it happened in the mm-hmm. game and i would yep. say that that happening in the game is a cool thing like it's meant to be experienced that way and then of course a mystery or anything with like a prestige right. at the end is yeah. meant to be teased out to or, you. or where you games where you play as another character and that leads into the last of us too right like right, the, the right. idea of like play inhabiting someone else's body can definitely be a spoiler Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like you're going to be playing some percentage of the game this way or that way. Um, right. I actually recently rewatched Knives Out just for fun because it was on Amazon and I put it on. And there's a great pleasure in watching something that was a mystery the second time through. Knives yes. Out is a particularly, maybe maybe it's a bad example because that story, spoil, it tells you what happened kind of early on. And mm-hmm. then the fun of it is there's still a mystery to solve. And you kind yes. of watch, it's like a very postmodern or whatever the word is, like it turns in on itself in all these really clever ways. Ways. But watching a mystery or, or something like that the second time through is also very satisfying. Um, just like a show like The Wire, for example, is really fun the right. second time through because you have you know exactly what's going to happen. You're no longer shocked by anyone getting killed, but because it's just so rich and dense, you follow it more clearly. It's nice to have both experiences. Like I don't know that I would have wanted to read a recap of The Wire before watching it, but at the right. same time, that wouldn't necessarily be for me, anyways, like a ruined experience. It would just mean that I had was deprived of the initial experience of like seeing it fresh. So let's do talk about The Last of Us too, though. I know I'm like we sure. could go in a million directions, <laughs> but we've we've keep kind of going there, and mm-hmm. without spoiling anything, I think like the spoilers that leaked for that game on the internet. The way that they leaked, which was in this kind of haphazard way from these mm-hmm. YouTube videos where it wasn't totally clear what was true and what wasn't and what mm-hmm. order things happened in, was really, really bad for this game's, like, yep. the, the conversation around this game, like, in a kind of a profound way. That's mm-hmm. how it seems to me anyways. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. It has fundamentally changed the way that people think about and talk about that game, and it it's too bad. I I mean, I'm sort of heartened that Ryan was able to write this story about how he purposefully looked at all the spoilers and still really enjoyed the game because at least that's a path you can go on. But it also is... I mean, there's this whole other culture of spoilers that you're sort of getting at, Kirk, where once spoilers exist for a piece of media, there is a type of person on the internet who will 
seize upon that and try to ruin it for other people. And far be it from me to <laughs> psychoanalyze this type of person, <laughs> but uh, they clearly are unhappy in some way and are, are, <laughs> are now bent on ruining something for someone else. And even though right. I have a pretty uh, broad idea of whether or not stories can be ruined, I find that to be such a reprehensible and like internet specific behavior that it's sort of fascinating to me. Like as horrible as it is, it kind of like flips back around into being fascinating again because I'm like, why are people doing this? And you know, like, what? <laughs> a thing, and a part of Ryan's article was that be, a th- he wasn't spoiled on everything. He kind of read the spoilers that were out there, but they were incomplete. And so there were yes. still some blanks that he was able to fill in while playing it. I would be interested to know if someone just went and read the Wikipedia, like total plot breakdown of the right. entire game and then played it, like fully spoiling themselves. Because I think that a thing that made and continues to make The Last of Us 2 discourse so toxic and crazy online mm-hmm. was that they were incomplete spoilers and they remained incomplete because there was this weird like silence around the game where no one wanted to spoil anything obviously because you don't want to just spoil your readers or your listeners right which i would say is still going on like people are still it, trying absolutely. to respect those spoilers even now and it's been a few weeks which we're doing right here yeah. you know we're we're like in our conversation we spoiled more like two episodes ago than we have right now about what happened in the game and we're not going to do it because you know why, why we, we don't need to some people maybe still haven't played sure but because there was this huge weird restriction the embargo was so gnarly i mean you couldn't talk about what was happening mm-hmm. it puts people in the position of saying, I liked this game, or I didn't like this game. And I can't say why. <laughs> but I, I can't actually really tell you why. And that, I think, leads to a very weird space where everyone is arguing about something without talking about what they're arguing about. Yep. And that's happened before, but it's really like exacerbated by this unique uh, set of circumstances that kind of played out with The Last of Us 2 involving the leaks and the embargo and the review timing and the length of the game and all of that kind of together. Yeah, yeah. embargoes are a whole another beast um i don't remember we must have talked about this maybe on the last show on kotaku Splitscreen. maybe we talked about this but um a lot of publishers will send you lists of things that you're not supposed to spoil and that's therefore right. spoil you in the original <laughs> in their list yeah, i know um, you're like, don't mention don't that x happens in chapter three and you're like cool i guess that happened yeah nintendo does this all the time every single time they have like some rpg well and you heard and rob in his conversation with maddie mentioned that he skimmed the embargo yeah. which i do i would use to do this all the time when I was reviewing games because I didn't want to get spoiled mm-hmm. and he skimmed it and didn't realize how draconian it was yes. and then had to go back and, and like, like rewrite his, his whole review. review because he included too of much. course assumed that yeah. you could talk about x and y well so I mean that leads to another yeah. question that might be beyond our scope but like there's definitely an ethical question of like is it really serving readers to agree to these embargoes and like uh, if we're agreeing to an embargo that prevents us from talking about the game holistically what what I purpose mean, does it serve I think that's really Related, actually, because I I certainly saw this come up with film critics talking about The Last of Us Part Two, just in comparison to what their industry is like, and how they're like, we trust mm-hmm. film critics to know what isn't isn't a spoiler when they're writing a review of a film. And well, movie reviews all have spoilers. I avoid movie <laughs> reviews. And to be fair, most 
a lot of game reviews will, the embargoes that I've seen, will say that. They'll be like, please don't spoil plot, major plot developments. And that's kind of right. all they say. And, and like, we trust you. Which is a fine request. It's one thing to say, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's a fine way to do it. We trust you, like, don't spoil the And that's the game. fairly common. Like, which it's is, not like, right. the, the Last of Us 2 embargo was unusual. pretty intense. Yeah. yeah, it was unusual. Everything everything about the messaging surrounding this game and the way that people are talking about this game is, is unusual. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about spoilers dang it <laughs> right 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 about spoilers in general yes so so yeah it does it does raise an interesting some interesting ethical questions but yeah but to the point about like the spoilers i don't really think that it would have ruined it for me to know about the thing that happens two hours into the game in fact mm-hmm. that would have been made it more interesting to me than just like wondering um or just assuming that that was going to happen which is what i was doing anyway i think there are there are times when like like talking about the incentive incident um can can actually actually make a, a piece of criticism better and can make you appreciate like no know, knowing what's going to happen in the beginning of the game but then again i've also had so many enjoyable experiences where i've gone into a story a tv show or a book or a movie or a game um having no idea what was going to happen other than just like an, a rudimentary idea or like i saw something and the the box looked pretty or whatever um mm-hmm. and then it's it can be kind of cool to have that like complete blank slate experience so i don't know i'm of two minds of it's it. challenging because it's just different for everyone and it's different for each individual thing i mean there are people who don't feel the way that you felt and if you're dealing with like a blanket thing like Twitter, you're just going to tweet out a screenshot of something from some video game, you're essentially making that decision for them. Yes. The story I was going to tell is just, I my my like spoiling, or, uh, spoiling people uh, trial by fire was this Batman <laughs> Arkham City preview that I wrote for Kotaku forever ago. I've talked Great. about this, I talked about this on split screen, so I'll just briefly paraphrase tell it, it but basically. <laughs> they, make you, they made us think in this preview event, kind of the only piece of information we got is that at the beginning of the game, the Joker dies, and there's this other villain or something, which winds up not being the case. Um, And so this was a case of a preview event that faked out journalists Mm -hmm. and told them that something in the the game happened that didn't actually happen. And it was a fake out. Like, literally, they show this a cutscene where Joker is dead in the cutscene and then it cuts to black. Mm -hmm. In the game, in that same cutscene, the Joker then snaps awake after it cuts to black and is not dead. So, like, they made us think he was dead. I very foolishly published this headline. This is not entirely my decision, but um, at the same time, not going to cast blame. This was, in the end, my call to run this run this headline that said the Joker dies in Arkham City, which was not cool at all. And people were very upset with me and I felt terrible, not because people were upset with me, but because I knew I had fucked up. Mm -hmm. Like it was not cool to tell people that information. I thought it said, or does he at the end of the headline? It did, but that doesn't come on. And Uh, like there was this the image was like the, it's all fun and games until the Joker dies in huge text. Like it was, it was. Not, if I had seen that, just as a person who plays video games, I would have been Annoyed? upset. I would have been like, yeah. "Oh, what the fuck, Kotaku!" Like, so ever since then, it made me kind of realize the the power differential between someone publishing to a large audience and someone reading, and you just have to take into account everybody, which is what makes this kind of an impossible conundrum, is that there are so many people who will say, I don't care, I want to read the more thorough analysis, I don't need to be, you know, coddled at every step, and like, you don't need to keep me in the total dark. But there are other people who will say, no, I really don't want to see this. (laughs) In that case, it was specifically a problem because it was a headline on the page, so it wasn't even behind warning, it was unavoidable. Social media copy and so on. It's funny, it's funny you mention that because people are so draconian that the other day I tweeted out a picture, or a gif of me 
shooting the Vita in The Last of Us, like in saying the Vita, the Vita yes, can't die. Yes, and people considered that a spoiler. And one guy yeah. on my mentions was like, "How dare you mm-hmm. spoil this? Like, not everybody has seen it." And I was like, "What the? What is wrong with you?" But it was like in a trailer for the game. No, I, I mean, even if it wasn't in a trailer, it's a freaking <laughs> PlayStation. But we Vita. should also say that. Uh, Naughty Dog showed fake footage from this game in a preview to fake people out about yes, who is alive when. In the trailers, when. they showed fake footage, very, very Joker style. They put yes. together some cutscenes that made it appear as though scenes would play out in yeah, a different way. Yeah, which is fine with me. I saw some people complaining about that. I think it's no, fine. no. I think that that's actually. I think that that's fine too. This reminds me of what um, Spike Chunsoft did with Danganronpa, where there was apparently a press event for the first Danganronpa, and at the end, the killer of the first mission of the first mystery is a different person yep. in the preview event than it is in the main game and i actually kind of like that i like i That's think it's great. cool that naughty dog yeah. yeah that rules also a demo that was like a demo that was released also i believe yeah that's to like fine to fans me. um yeah there are some fun things like that man dang and rampa that's a very spoilable game that is it's game very would... spoilable i've had to like really avoid things because i want to keep playing are you still those. playing those many I, I mean i want to play the second and third one still i never circled back but i still intend to but so to respond to something that you talked about a minute ago go Kirk I think part of why people are draconian and we use that word lovingly I've certainly had my times in my life when I have been spoiled by something yes. like for example Dumbledore's death in Harry Potter was spoiled for me before I could get the book and I'm mm, still a little a bitter about it but it's fine <laughs> anyway I use that as a threat to get my campers in line when I was a counselor at summer that's camp that's very summer. cruel wow. Jason but that would have worked on oh, me no wait maybe it was hard. no that was the seventh book that I used as that like, I'll I, tell you what happens at the end of the seventh well, book so I read I read faster than most. I read faster than most people, uh-huh. and I read the entire book and then used that as a threat to get my kids to do what I wanted. God. Anyway, what I was saying was that so Jason was a complicated I, child. What I was saying was that I think that that draconian response, which I again emphasize, I can relate to at times, is because the internet itself is so uncontrollable by all of us, and social yeah. media is so outside of our control like horrible things just stream into my eyeballs every day when i go on twitter.com and some of those horrible things are like the last of us part two spoilers and i can set Mm -hmm. up a variety of filters to prevent myself from seeing various Mm -hmm. content on the internet but it is impossible to truly do that in like a meaningful way and we are all experiencing that all the time and that lack of control feels really bad and it's just something that we've all accepted as a part of our lives and like a part of navigating the internet that like you never know what you're gonna see today and that's just how it is to go online and that actually Mm -hmm. sucks ass and like other experiences in our lives aren't that way (laughs) like in other situations we are picking up a book we are selecting a tv show like we are picking what we're going to interact with and we have some idea of what we're getting but going on the internet you do not really have that you are just at the mercy of whatever platform you're on. And so that's part mm-hmm. of why I'm like, I get why people really want these spoiler tags. I get why people want things like content warnings, which is like a much higher level of just wanting more control over what you're seeing online. Mm-hmm. And I I get it. <laughs> I think it's a fair thing to want. But I also am like, the onus is really on these platforms to try to give users more control over this stuff. And, right. and until then... All we can really do is like use the crude tools at our disposal, like trying to give people spoiler warnings on tweets or like putting mm-hmm. things in a separate place or whatever the case may be. And these are not ideal. They do make it impossible for people to have a conversation about a video game on Twitter or social media because we can't 
we can't know who has and hasn't known well, about the I game. Well, I mean, Twitter, Twitter, message boards figured this out decades ago. Like, Twitter is just a backwards piece of software because all you have to do is make the spoiler tag where you just highlight it with your cursor to see it, and that solves that the entire Twitter problem. still hasn't done it, yeah. That would actually be nice if Twitter did <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Twitter, Twitter is like, Twitter doesn't have the functionality that, like, message boards in 2001 had. But, like, so many other sites don't either. Like, Facebook mm-hmm. doesn't, like, all, like, comments sections don't, YouTube comments, like, and also there are people out there who will just spoil things on purpose because they want to ruin your well, day. Yes. And so like there's no control for that either and that's just the world we live in and we're all responding to it in our own understandably defensive ways. Mm-hmm. Frustrated way. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And spoiler tags on Twitter would work. A frustrating thing about Twitter is that you can't even do like a spoilery conversation in the replies yes, anymore because now Twitter it. surfaces your replies and sends it to other people. So I'll be spoiled sometimes. And surfaces likes so you can't even mm-hmm. like something that contains right, so and so liked that yeah. whatever X dies in whatever game. Mm-hmm. Um, I to, to pivot slightly to a slightly different thought that I've been having is the idea of spoiling solutions to a game's puzzle. Ooh. Like I think a lot about Outer Wilds, a right? game that all three of us yes. loved and that anybody listening to this should play because it's fabulous and one of the best games ever. And just came to Steam, so now nobody has any excuse. It just come to Steam. <laughs> yes. Um, unless you're really holding it against them that they were on Epic for a year. But maybe just get over it and play one of the best don't games ever. Don't do that. Play it. Yeah, don't do that. It's good. So that game is very spoilable, but it's not spoilable to say like, Oh, you know, whatever, whatever it turns out to be the cause of some phenomenon in the mm-hmm. game. Like, yeah. that's not really a spoiler. Yeah, I mean, the sun explodes every 22 minutes in that <laughs> right, game. Right. That's going to happen right away. Right. Or even saying, <laughs> here's why, like, here's the reason for it in the end, right? Like, even right. that. You could spoil that, but, like, we will, of course, not. But And that also wouldn't be the main way of spoiling the game. Right. The main way of spoiling the game would be to say, whatever, you can get to here super quickly if you just go over here. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in that game where the magic of it is when you do this crazy circuitous route and you jump and climb and you figure out all these puzzles and you arrive and then you realize oh here I am I this is how this works now and I can actually just get right here by just doing this now that I understand and it's this magical experience every time that just builds on itself and that's the magic of that game and if you just told someone a few of those things it would lessen the experience it's one of the reasons that giving tips for that game to friends feels almost like navigating spoilers. You'll say, well, you yes. think about where you've been. Have you tried this? What, right. what do you mm, have what do you think about that platform? Yeah. Right. Did you guys ever, have you guys ever played the old LucasArts games? Kirk, I know you did back in the day. Oh, like yeah, the sure. Not Com really, and, but I'm familiar with And especially with the, the Infocom games, like the yeah. text-based Zork and stuff. So they would always have hint guides that wouldn't just tell you the puzzle. It would be like a series of questions and answers. Nice. And then the fifth, nice. the final one would always be like, "Are you sure you want to find out the the answer?" But like leading up to it, it would just be like like what you're describing, Kirk, where mm-hmm. you'd be having a conversation with a friend, and they would be like, "Have you checked such and such? Think mm-hmm. about it. What mm-hmm. does such and such mean to such and such?" And it'll be like guiding you along the way. And I thought that was a brilliant way of uh, solving that particular problem. Yeah. I always think about. Um, I remember when I was playing Braid when it first came out in 2008 or whatever, mm-hmm. and being stuck on a puzzle and googling Braid walkthrough, and I found like braidwalkthrough.com, and I go to braidwalkthrough.com, and it's owned by Jonathan Blow, the designer of the game, and it's just this impassioned paragraph that's like, please, please don't look up a walkthrough for this game. Why? The whole point God. of this is that you're supposed to take time and be stumped and have to solve it. Did you just look up a another walkthrough, though? No, I don't think I did. I think I was like, okay, wow. fine, John. <laughs> take it your word. Oh, but I never man. finished Braid, so... <laughs> so, in a way, you should have yeah. looked up another walkthrough. 
I mean, right, right. I don't know. Maybe I think you I maybe should have. The, the Witness is another game that would be ruined if like oh, someone told well, yeah, you it's all someone puzzles. spoiled the mechanics to you. But also, yeah. it's puzzles. It's mind puzzles. Mm-hmm. That would be harder to spoil, though. Just how would you do that? You'd no, be like, be the one line needs to go from the left to right. Yeah, that line. <laughs> that line means this, and that line means that. Um, right, right. No, if someone said to you like, oh, if you can't find this here, look down, and there's a cherry tree branch or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yes, but but yeah, these. These things can definitely be spoiled. Yeah. So I have one more thought because (laughs) we're running out of time. But I was curious about what you two thought about the idea of spoilers being old. I have a good rule of thumb for this. And I feel like, well, so I don't have like a specific arbitrary amount of time, like 10 years or anything like that. Holding up my thumbs because Mm, it's a a sign that it's Uh, a rule of mm -hmm. thumb. Got it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nobody can see that. So you're clever. Your wit is lost on all the listeners. That's why I told people that I was doing it. (laughs) Cool. Um, so uh let's say it's 10 years or whatever it is i mean it can be an arbitrary amount of time um i think Mm -hmm. a good rule of thumb is that like it's okay to casually spoil older stuff as long as it's not like having a resurgence in the conversation so like final fantasy 7 there's no reason like people should suddenly be careful about that (laughs) yeah Yeah, because like there might be people out there who are like suddenly interested or like hamilton the play which we will get to in a little bit just came out so maybe like things you were a little bit more careful or less careful about a couple of years ago now that it's like available for more people or really anything that like so, I mean I think it's safe to say that Aaron Burr kills Alexander Hamilton in oh, the duel well, the they, say, they, they can't really spoil American history come on. every person in that play is dead now all of the characters oh god come on guys <laughs> we're just ruining everyone on Hamilton too. no I but know. like I don't know so like to your Arkham City point if that suddenly got a remaster and it was like everybody's right. excited mm-hmm. about Arkham City again then that's a good time to be like, all right, we're going to take it easy. Right, um, right. I think in general, if something is having a resurgence in the conversation, but then again, I also like, unless it's something like Luke, I am your father, where it's become co- part of the cultural consciousness. I still yeah. think that people should be careful because I told this story, uh, I think it was a few weeks ago where like uh, a friend of mine who's doing this final fantasy podcast had never learned the big, spo- the big twist in final fantasy seven until mm-hmm. like it was casually spoiled mm-hmm. for him. And he's like, what the fuck? Like I was about to play this and like yeah. now I'm, it's ruined for me. So like in general, I, think like if you have a chance to just not be a jerk about it just take that chance that's that's i think Mm -hmm. a good way way of approaching this it's hard though yeah (laughs) though it can be a bummer because yeah it's sometimes then it feels like we we can't talk about things it's hard i for one love making jokes i used to make jokes all the time on kotaku about like a certain thing that happens in final fantasy 7 and then i kind of started feeling bad about it i mean so did everybody for (laughs) most of the 2000s it was like on luke skywalker's dad level in terms Mm -hmm. of like jokes you tell about a thing that happens in a video game yeah and that's changed in the past 10 years i i think which is interesting. Well, it changed with remake. I think. I think that's what changed that. Yeah, I guess one. so. Yeah, but I'm like, how did everyone not already see that before the remake came out? But then it was like I suddenly discovered that a whole bunch of people somehow right. didn't know what happens in Final Fantasy. Well, VII, some people and- are younger. If you're 15 now and you're playing remake, you have no idea what happened in Final Fantasy VII. That's right. What's nice is that remake has its own spoilers as it well, does. which is kind of fun. Which yes. adds which you another can listen level to, to this. On our Beanscast on the Final <laughs> Fantasy true, VII you can. remake. You can, you can do that. 
I think when it comes down to it, it's the thing that you were saying, Maddie, about wanting control over the spaces and the information that we're in is like very true about all of this. Even the fact that things like spoiler casts, bean ca- beans casts, spoiler-filled conversations mm-hmm. exist, those are nice because there's space where everyone's on the same page and you're just going to talk about everything related to at least one specific story. And in even in conversations you're having with your friends, you can be considerate and say, okay. Have we all seen this? Yeah. <laughs> right. Are we all cool to talk about that? And checking in. Yeah. yeah. Right. And there's nothing better than when you do that and everyone says, yeah, sure. Or like the one person there is like, I haven't seen it, but I don't care. Yes. And then you can finally be like, okay, so let's just talk about it. I can't believe he's really the killer. And, yeah. you know, you have this whole conversation, yep, yep, which yeah. is yep. good. But it is about that respect and giving people that control over the information that they take in in mm-hmm. the end. We solved it. We did it. We did it. We solved we did. it. We solved the problem. Good job, Maddie. Congratulations, us. Why don't we take a break and then we will be back with one more thing. have a lot of problems. How do you juggle your holes at the library? How do you decide what to read next? What do you do when you find out an author you love is a huge trash baby? I'm Brea Grant. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. And we're the hosts of Reading Glasses. We're here to solve all your reader problems and along the way, help you figure out your reader wheelhouse, which are the things that will absolutely make you pick up a book. Our listener favorites tend to be magic and a woman on a journey. And also birds for some reason. Your reader doghouse. Yeah, that's the things that'll make you avoid a book. Ugh, love triangles stress me out so much. Reading glasses. Every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Hey folks, it's Jesse, the founder of MaxFun. Since we postponed our annual MaxFun drive in mid-March, we have gotten a lot of questions about if and when we'd be rescheduling it. And honestly, we've been asking ourselves the same thing. Well... Now we have an answer for you. The 2020 Max Fund Drive will start on July 13th. That's coming up soon. We decided to have the drive now because it's always brought a lot of joy and excitement to our community and certainly to us. And to be totally honest, it's also the main source of income for some of our hosts. Like pretty much everything right now, this year's drive is going to be a little different. Uh, We'll still be bringing you very special episodes, fun community activities, premium thank you gifts, But we also know it's a weird time and for some folks, a really difficult one. Some people are in a position to become new or upgrading members. Others can't right now. And that is okay. We'll have ways for you to support MaxFun at every level, including some ways that won't cost you anything. We're also going to run the drive for four weeks instead of two. We didn't think it was a good time to be rushing anybody and uh, having a longer drive lets us be a little more low-key in our drive pitch. It also gives us more time to do fun stuff like the weekly live streams we'll be putting on for charity throughout the drive. Most importantly, we want the 2020 Max Fund Drive to highlight all the ways we support each other and our communities. We also want to show how grateful we are to you for making all the work that we do possible. Stay safe. We'll see you July 13th for the Max Fund Drive. And we are back for one more thing. Kirk, why don't you tell me what you've been doing for the past week? Yes. I'm so glad that I got called on first. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited because I'm playing a video game that I'm completely in love with and I'm excited to tell people about. And it's been kind of a minute since I felt that way about a new game that I could that I could tell listeners about on a podcast. So I am playing a game called Desperados 3, which is a real-time stealth strategy game uh, that's on, I believe it's on consoles and PC, made by a development studio called Me, Me, Me who most previously, uh, most recently made a game called Shadow Tactics Blades of the Shogun, which is very, very similar to, Des- to Desperados. 
it's kind of like um, those the games, the Commandos games from back in the 2000s, as well as the Desperado series, which were both kind of similar real-time stealth. This game rules, and I love it so much, it drives me up the wall sometimes because mm-hmm. it's very difficult, but it's also just so robust and well-made and enjoyable and great, and I love it. So now I'm going to tell you both about why I love it. Go so, on. I just want to say, though, before you start, Desperados 3, terrible name. Terrible time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm aware that you feel this way. I think that, well, whatever, it's in this series, so, you know, I don't know. They could have called it, like, Sneaky West, <laughs> something like that. Desperados colon the Sneaky West? Sneaky West. That would have been better. <laughs> Desperados, it just makes me think, it makes me think of, like, a THQ, like, crappy first-person shooter from, like, 2008, where, like... You know what it makes me think of is, what is the LucasArts cowboy game i'm typing that into DuckDuckGo right now outlaws it makes me think of outlaws because it's very similar and outlaws has kind of similar art with the like thing i never even played that game i don't think it's good isn't it like a shooter no idea lucasarts shooter um 1997 shooter is a first person shooter released by lucasarts in 1997 yes so anyways it makes me think of that so i'm with you it's not a great name it's a great game though everybody do not sleep on this game if you like stealth games yes i i played a a couple hours of it and i also think it's a great game i endorse your oh my god i'm like totally in love with it luke plunkett noted stealth game aficionado at kotaku reviewed it called it a stealth masterpiece Mm. um it is wonderful and i love it so just really briefly what it is so it's a kind of an isometric view but with a rotatable camera really lovely little tiny miniature looking characters kind of like divinity original sin 2 or any of those style of games where nothing is super high detailed you can't zoom that far in but everything looks really great from a distance you're in the wild west you're like a cowboy the whole thing really like relies i would say overly on like wild west stereotypes like character stereotypes which is like kind of a like, it leaves me wishing that it would have been a little bit more adventurous with the character designs and stuff. But it's a very, very mechanical game. And it's just a game about sneaking around, taking out guards, making your way through a level. And you have a team of eventually five people. I just unlocked the fifth person. And Shadow Tactics Blades of the Shogun, which is also a fantastic game, was very similar. That was like a feudal Japan ninja slash samurai game. And it's very similar in that each of your party members is a unique character that plays a role in the story. There's a long story. This is like a totally single player thing that goes, it's like a saga. And each character has their own, you know, dueling motivations and also their own completely unique skill set. So one character in Desperados, your main cowboy guy is kind of a just he can sneak he can stab people with a knife and he has a pistol he can shoot that makes a lot of noise so if he shoots that it'll alert every guard in the area your goal is to get through each area pretty much to get from point a to point b maybe achieve some kind of objective but you're kind of just moving through these highly patrolled you know a wild west town and then uh you know whatever a guard camp and then a crashed riverboat area in the river and you have to get through them without being seen, or you pretty much get killed. So he's kind of basic. There's like a big guy who can knock people down really quick, but he can't climb. So if you need to get to a higher area, you send your like more limber guy. There's a, a woman who's like charming. This is like one of the character stereotypes that's mm-hmm. kind of weak. But she can go and distract yeah. guards, and so she's kind of a femme fatale, right? She can distract someone so they look away. Anyway, so each character has their own unique abilities. Mm-hmm. And you have to use them all to get through these very challenging stealth gauntlets that because you just have the ability to you know kind of zoom around and look at everything you can right click on any guard and you can see their field of view sound isn't an issue with movement which is nice so it's just about whether you're crouching or climbing and like the noise of your attacks it's very very mechanical and simulation heavy it's hitman ish 
Yeah, it sounds like Hitman, which is why I'm like, of course, Kirk likes this. It's a little bit different, though. It has a different feel because you're controlling a team mm-hmm. of characters instead of just right. one. Yes. And also right. because you have like very strict goals instead of just like a few, a bunch of different things you can do in one big mm-hmm. sandbox. Like, it's more like you're moving across maps to try to take out enemies as you go. Yeah. It's it's its own thing. It does it has some things in common with Hitman. Like it's very satisfying in that same way, and it's very simulation heavy. Like Hitman, there are actually some levels in this game. I believe there will be some more. But there was a, a town level where there are just neutral areas where I could just walk around, which was very Hitmanish. The uh, the femme fatale character can dress up in a um, a costume, so she can actually walk around freely, sort of like Agent Forty Seven does right. in Hitman. So there are more Hitman. Um, notes in this game, I guess. But it's still, yeah, it is its own thing. It's more like Shadow Tactics. I really, really like it. It has, you can like queue up abilities. So if you pause time and then you can be like, okay, when I press enter, everyone's going to do an ability at once. So like this guy will throw the knife and then this person will like knock out that guard who was watching and would have seen the knife hit the guy. And then this person's going to go over here and really quick grab the thing. And then you like activate it and you watch your team kind of snap into action all at once. And it has that very satisfying feeling. And it's sometimes a really hard, they do the thing, I just did a level where you have like a wild night out and then your one character wakes up and he's hungover and doesn't have any of his gear, Mm -hmm. which is a common trope in video games. And you have to get through this whole level without anything, gradually finding everybody and you don't have any of your gear. So the gear is kind of overpowered at times, but without it, oh my God, this level was so hard. And I was like, it's designed to save scum. Like they tell you at the beginning, you're supposed to be saving and reloading and doing trial and error. That's the point of the game. In fact, a, a thing will pop up a notification will pop up when you haven't yeah. saved in more than a minute right. and it'll it'll be like constantly reminding you to save which I love I adjusted that to two minutes because I was like okay but yeah it, it reminds you it's a great that's a great idea to remind yeah. you like to save if you've watched the trailer also there's the cinematic trailer for this is like a cinematic reenactment of save scumming it's kind of like edge of tomorrow or whatever but the guy that's fine it's like a shootout and then the one guy gets killed and he's like wait and then it restarts and then they do it again and they keep doing it until they get it right yeah which is kind of how the game works so i really like it um i think it's super fun it's very tough um and i'm gonna be playing it for a long time i gather it's quite long but if you're looking for like that kind of really crunchy tactical stealth game man i mean i'm enjoying it and also the story is is pretty good it's like surprisingly good animations actually like the the characters are little and it's pretty like great you're kind of watching these little characters talk to each other but they have unique you know it's almost seems mocapped or something the animation so the story is fun enough and mostly i'm just there for sneaking up on guards and taking them down without anyone noticing but that is desperados 3 it's on pc and consoles and it's great cool all right jason why don't you go next Maddie, Kirk, <laughs> I am not throwing away my shot. Of course you're no, not. No, you're not throwing away not. your shot. I watched Hamilton with my wife and some friends last week. I've been away, by the way, uh, for those who have not been following. Uh, I was My wife and I and some friends, we rented an Airbnb in Connecticut which uh, and just spent a week there grilling and hanging out outside. And nice. It was raining, so we spent some time inside, too. And it was lovely. Highly recommend it. I recommend I it if you can do this. doing something. If you, can do, if, you, if you have a safe way of doing this, what we all did was we all quarantined for two weeks ahead of time. Right. So we were mm-hmm. we felt more comfortable doing it, um, and also New York and Connecticut has the the case cases have dropped so low that we're feeling a little more secure than we would if we were in like Florida. But anyway, right. recommend like going someplace and like seeing can, people yeah. because yes, if you can safely. Man, it was like after months of not seeing people in real life and being cr- like cramped in this apartment in New York, just being in a house with space and a yard and a grill and friends, it was pretty amazing. But anyway, we all watch 
watched Hamilton when it came out on <laughs> Disney Plus on Friday. Yeah. And I had always known, my wife is a huge musical theater nerd, and I'd always known that I would like Hamilton, but we've always wanted to wait. Like, I never wanted to listen to the soundtrack, because um, mm-hmm. I always wanted to see... Did you want to wait for it? I mm-hmm. wanted to wait for it, because we wanted to see the, the show itself. Yeah. Um, sure. Which, in retrospect, is hilarious, because I had no idea that the show itself has no talking, and the soundtrack is the show, which is... That's There's right. one scene that's not on the soundtrack. Uh, one it's an amazing scene. scene. Scene, but yeah, which one? Which scene? Uh, John, when John Lawrence dies. Oh, okay. Is that that when she reads the letter, Mm -hmm. which is an amazing scene, actually, like really crucial? He said, I think Lin Manuel Miranda said that he purposefully left that off the soundtrack because he wanted there to be something Something for people who went to the show, live audience, something new that you get. Maddie, have you seen it? Also, I have not seen it. I have only listened to the soundtrack. But you've listened to the soundtrack, so you know the music. Okay, so (laughs) my take is that Hamilton is pretty, pretty incredible. As soon as as soon as I watched it, I was like, oh my god, like. I have to get this music. So let me preface this by saying that when I say it's pretty incredible, I'm talking about the music and mm-hmm. how much I love the music. I'm obsessed with the music. Whatever about the the. I don't have any takes on like the founding fathers, who are obviously shitty people, and the glamorization of like slave owners. And sounds like you have takes on the founding brushing fathers, brushing them Jason. under the bus. No, I, I really, I really don't. I, I don't want to get into that discourse here. Um, as much as I've enjoyed reading like good criticism of Hamilton and like appreciating like all this stuff about how it really whitewashed mm-hmm. history and like how all these people of color are playing white people but there are no actual people of color in the story and there's a lot to unpack Mm -hmm. with the actual story itself but I am obsessed with the music. The music is just so good and well constructed, and uh, the the motifs and the the different ways that it just like r- repeats different like I don't know vocal like uh, signatures, vocal signatures for each each character, and the, man, everything about it. There's just so many freaking bangers on this track that I just um, have been obsessing obsessively listening since uh, we watched the movie. And <laughs> shout out, of course, to Kirk's strong song episodes, strong song episode about. Uh, uh, Hamilton's Satisfied, which might be the best, one of the best, one of the top three songs on the soundtrack. It's my favorite anyways. Um, yeah, Maddie, you are you not cool. a Hamilton fan? Are you not into it? I like it, yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed it in 2015. Remember 2015, like, before Trump yeah. was elected, when we, like, still had hope about, like, systems maybe working? <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard any of the music until this. Yeah. So, like, I am, imagine that my mind is in 2015 right now. It feels like such a time cap to me to be thinking about Hamilton in 2020 and I feel like that has made it harder for me to enjoy its resurgence because I'm like I just feel like I was a different person when I was listening to the mm-hmm. Hamilton soundtrack but that that's not a reflection on the soundtrack at all well as a show it feels yeah well it's interesting it's coming at a time where like a lot more people are down on America than they were in 2015 for a lot of different reasons right but also it feels so Obama years like it just does (laughs) like it is just a product of that time Mm -hmm. right that's what I'm saying so I'm saying that it's like a celebration it's like it feels very much like a celebration of a lot of like that progressive Obama liberalism that Mm -hmm. it was clearly like (laughs) feels very different now it was like about to be be pushed back against by like reactionaries like almost immediately afterward yeah and it's like it can't really be taken out of that context but again i'm 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 talking about the music it's just the music i'm obsessed with that's that's it's wonderful yeah i'm obviously obsessed with the music and yeah i uh making that episode of strong songs about satisfied which is my favorite song for the musical Mm -hmm. totally freaked me out i mean the level on which Lin-Manuel Miranda and Alex Lacamoire, the musical director and arranger, are operating is nuts through that whole musical. Like, I, it's just 
Well, people should go listen yep. to that episode of Strong yep. Songs. <laughs> well, and Renee, I mean, the, the part of it is like the vocal talent of the original cast yes. is just unbelievable. Like, especially Renee Elise Goldsberry. I mean, holy yeah. crap! In this version, Unreal. the the, She's man, incredible. Seeing the original cast is really cool on a lot of levels. She is, but also Davie Diggs and Jonathan Groff, like they all are just I know. You know, <laughs> out of control. It's funny, like in the original cast recording, I don't think Davie Diggs is actually all that strong. He is great on stage. Like he was one part of watching it, um, like watching the Disney Plus movie, which I also did over the weekend. It was it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Um, I think he's really good. Um, on stage like his stage presence is just amazing and he's so good in the moment where in the studio or however they recorded the original cast recording he's just like he's just better I think mm-hmm. on stage. interesting I think it's just hard to capture that when, with any live performance I mean yeah. it's yeah. so much of it is about being in that theater and seeing it I mean this is part of why people have mixed feelings about the show being recorded at all in this form and shown in this way. But of course, with COVID, there's no way for anyone to be seen well, live I theater. Think, I think that the, this version of it really works. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's looser. The vocals are a little rawer. Like, they're, they're, they stretch the time the way that they do when you see it live. Right? And that's cool. Like, the, the studio recording is, like, really tight and really great yeah. and works on its own. But it's really fun to see them. And just the emotion of these people. I mean, holy crap. There's a couple scenes where Renee Elise Goldsberry is, like, singing directly into Lin-Manuel Miranda's face from like six inches away and I'm just trying to imagine like what it would be like to be standing on stage and having someone with a voice like that just I mean she's not belting but it's like right there there are these scenes where they're singing right <laughs> they're at each other yeah. and they have tears in their eyes in these moments I mean he's so well the best is seeing Jonathan Groff's spittle as he sings his, his spittle <laughs> is Jonathan Groff is so good he's another one who's he's great in the recording but his performance oh is so God. hilarious well yeah so he has all these little yeah. subtle facial movements and yeah man everything about it you is know just like, not to get to because there is I think a really interesting critical cultural conversation around it I read something really good that Jim L. Bowie wrote on his Letterboxd about it that I thought was like really Really well put as like a criticism of it as a sort of, you know, as as a piece of historical uh, right. reinterpretation. Though at the same time, I do get an energy from it now, actually, in 2020 that I didn't get oh, when I first listened to it because it um it feels like the the metaphor to me it goes both ways and it works. The metaphor doesn't work as well when you say, oh, it's a bunch of like non-white actors playing with people who were white people, and we're kind of in that way, kind of glorifying people who didn't deserve that glory by looking back at the founders in a certain way. But it also goes the other way. And there's like a reverse metaphor where the, just the people who in this abstract version of history that is, you know, not one-to-one to to begin with Mm -hmm. to what actually happened is like these people rose up and, and it's like a call to arms to like do, to make things better and to work together. And that's actually kind of what's happening in America right now. So that part of it, even though you can't remove it from all the other stuff and from the historical context, that part of it was actually really cool for me. Like I thought that worked really well, like specifically in that John Lawrence scene when he dies and he's like, tomorrow there'll be more of us. Like, I think that's a beautiful sentiment and I'm glad that this musical centers on that so much like on the idea that it's also like all of you you need to do something great and make things better Mm -hmm. and so i like that about it even though 
the music really is the thing for me. I mean, the music just freaks me out. I love the songs. I think it's so good. But I could talk forever about Hamilton, and I won't. So <laughs> you have a different podcast. Yeah, I have a whole that. other podcast. Right the posters for Hamilton, like, all said, rise up. I remember seeing those on, on like, the subways mm-hmm. and stuff. And I think that itself is, like, even though in the context of the show, it's being, it's talking about, like, stand up for George Washington. Here comes the general rise up. <laughs> stand up to not pay your taxes. So but yeah. for it to be, for it to, like, be, if you're looking at it, it's a call to action. I think that's a pretty... Uh, pretty succinct right. succinct way to do it when you reverse the metaphor it becomes pretty yeah. cool mm-hmm. Maddie what about you what's your one cool. more thing um, so I don't know if y'all have been following any of the news about J.K. Rowling author of the I Harry sure Potter have. books oh I sure but, have been. I don't know how you could not be I wrote an article about it last week <laughs> I read a piece about the Harry Potter game. She is an anti-trans bigot who has been voicing that opinion a lot lately. And that is already a known thing about her. I've even mentioned it Mm -hmm. on this show before as one of the Mm -hmm. reasons why my girlfriend and I stopped playing the Harry Potter uh, Niantic game. Um, So that's just something that's true about her. Full stop. But... I had kept hearing from friends about this podcast called The Shrieking Shack, which is these two lapsed Harry Potter fans who go back and reread all the books and just analyze them through a critical lens and like a queer studies lens and just like Hmm. all the lenses and make fun of it Mm -hmm. a little bit. And it is just super hitting the spot. Like I had not gotten around to listening to this podcast. I'm only three episodes in and I'm loving it so much that I just had to shout it out because it's like, I am also a lapsed Harry Potter fan. I loved the fan fiction. I've like completely reinterpreted all of the signifiers in the books to be what I think they mean. And it has nothing to do with JK Rowling to me anymore. But also I kind of despise the books at the same time because at this point (laughs) I read them and I see like her issues politically and I just I can't separate the art from the artist and I don't really think that's possible in this case because I think that Harry Potter does espouse some of the things that she says. But anyway, this podcast is really just... It's just great, and I. if anybody nice. else is in a similar position where they grew up reading Harry Potter and they have a lot of mixed feelings about it, and especially have those mixed feelings now that J.K. Rowling is in the news, I think you should check out this podcast because I think it's going to float your boat. So, that's me. <laughs> nice. Well, that makes me kind of want to check it out. I've been talking to my sister as she reads through them with, with uh, my niece, and mm-hmm. the, th- the main thing she brings up is the grammar in it and the writing where... There's yeah. so many, I guess it's adverbs, like everyone says something, you know, boredly or exhaustedly, like everything. Stephen is, and, King would never allow for this. No, and there's a lot, and there's a lot of even like repeated words. Well, that's why Stephen King uh, uh, Yeah, that's the real the reason why day. Stephen King and J.K. Rowling don't get along. It's yeah. not because Stephen King <laughs> thinks trans women are women. Mm-hmm. That's not really, it's the right. adverbs. That's not it. It's, it's really just about grammar. <laughs> I do think people should check out this podcast, though. It's really Mm -hmm. fun. And they do also talk about things in the books that they really love as well. It's not all trashing it. They acknowledge plenty of things in the books that work, and they also trash it a little bit, and it's great. Nice. That's healthy. (laughs) That sounds healthy. I'll check it out. I still want to know how those Harry Potter movies got away with those uh, big-nosed banker stereotypes. They address that, Jason. They address the goblin bankers. It is in there. It is in the podcast. Good to know. Um, so anyway, that's been an episode of Triple Click. We've done it. Sure it sure has been. We did it. We did another one. 11. We did it. 11 on the books. Cool. So yeah. we'll see you all next week. Yeah. See you all next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edited and mixed the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. 
Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org slash join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.